Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 19, The Creative Process. And I have to read a content warning. We're obligated to tell you before we start that this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. It's okay. We still love you. Hello, robot. Oh, hello. It's been one week. It's been one week. No, two weeks. Last week we couldn't record, um, and uh, we're back. We're back at it. Hello, robot, and hello, everybody. We are Gosh. back at it, and the real uh, name for this episode is "Making Shit." Um, but I couldn't say that before the content warning, so we I called it the creative process. Oh. Making that's, shit is the real name. Making shit is something that's re- that's reasonable and re- uh, that not reasonable. That's uh, I that's uh, up uh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that. That makes more sense to my brain. Making uh, relatable. Shit. That's relatable to me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I've I've always made shit. You make shit. Oh, I make shit all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Writing, I think writing is making shit and painting is making shit. There's, there's so many ways to make shit. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, since I was a kid, like I used to make dioramas and like little haunted houses out of shoe boxes and postcards. And, um, you know, like I loved playing with adventure people when I was small. They were oh, like, yeah. like GI Joe, s- small, like star Wars figures, but they had like Jeeps and I had adventure um, people. Yeah. I had it's them. My mom got them for me off the back of the Quaker oatmeal. They were what? Yeah, there was a thing on the back of oatmeal to order adventure people. No and shit. And I, I got my first adventure people that way. And I had the jeep. And I had the safari thing. Yeah. And I had the helicopter with the that dropped the raft. Yeah, yeah, that shit was tight. I spent so much time in the woods by myself playing with those things. I've actually been talking about those with friends a lot lately because um uh I I don't know a couple years ago, year and a half ago, I I invested in a kind of a nice remote controlled truck and um I went out with my buddy James. He had a he had a nice one and and I just was like, I don't fucking know what to get. I don't know how to do this. It's such like RC trucks and like scale builders and stuff is such a wild world that i had no idea existed um so i just kind of spitballed and and bought a a truck and he and i went out one day and we were walking with our little trucks and driving through creeks and um i was reflecting on a conversation i had with my dad when i was about 10 and i was lamenting the fact that uh, i my toys didn't really hold my imagination and my interest anymore and whereas you know like a year earlier 
I could just dip into the woods and be gone for hours, hours, like days, you know, like I would just get lost in these little scenarios and I'd be building little towns and creeks and little trails and all kinds of shit. And I told my dad, I was like, my, I don't know, my toys just aren't that fun anymore. And he's like, yeah, that's just part of growing up. And I just was like, I was probably 10. I was like, that is a, that's bullshit. This is awful. So this is a pivotal moment when you realize that growing up is is a bad idea. Yeah, well, that I mean, it started really early on. It started like the first day I was in kindergarten. I got into my mom's car and I was like, that's it. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with this. When can I quit? And she's mm-hmm. like, well, legally, you have to wait until you're 16. But because you live in the house with us, you have to graduate from high school. You know, I'm fucking six years old. And I was just like, this is bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> I'm with my buddy James and I'm driving my little truck through these creeks. And I was like, this is it. This is the thing that I thought I lost. Right. You know, because you get to like, you get to control this truck and you get to pretend that you were in it. And it's just, it's so silly. And I love it so fucking much. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I don't know, that doesn't really have anything to do with making things. I guess just using one's imagination. No, I think it's right there. I mean, I just want to make one comment. I know that you and your mom are super tight, but maybe she shouldn't have been so literal with you about the explanation. Like maybe at six years old, she could have just said, I tell you what, honey, go to school today and we'll talk about it in the afternoon over crackers. <laughs> yeah, that was, kind of, that was the kind of conversation I asked her at one point when I was like 12. I was like, can I get a pierced ear? Or can I pierce my ears? Something like that. And she's like, oh, we'll talk about it in a year. And a year probably to the day, I was like, can I pierce my ears? Oh, you said we could talk about it in a year. And she said, okay, we'll talk about it. And I said, so what do you think? And she's like, nope. <laughs> And then I said, can I get a tattoo? Little did she know, my buddy Pete had already got given me a tattoo in his basement. So You were trying to get no the, to like, the reverse permission slip? <laughs> yeah, she said no to that too. But mom, I already have a prison tattoo. <laughs> yeah, beading needle and some India ink. Yeah, Pete yeah, was yeah. like, what do you want? And I was like, uh, give me a bat. Because I was really into the, I don't know if, it's, if I got that from Batman or the faction, the band, the faction. Oh, but yeah. either way, I was like, that's a pretty easy shape. And he gave me a bat on my shoulder and he said, is there anything else you want? Maybe I was in ninth grade. I feel like I was in seventh grade, but no, it must have been eighth or ninth grade. And I was like, yeah, I just read an read article about Poison Idea, a punk band from Portland. And the singer had a cross on his finger. And I was like, yeah, give me a cross on my finger. So I got a cross on my finger and Pete said the funniest, like most awesome thing to me. He said, you know, someday you're going to be sitting at a desk and you're going to hate your fucking life <laughs> and you're, <laughs> you're going to look at this tattoo and think, man, I used to have a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty heavy thing for, you know, a 14 year old to say. Uh, is that the most punk rock moment in, in human history? <laughs> <clears throat> it was a big one for me, you know, cause I was. Like, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation with myself. Right. So when you got the cross on your finger, you were 14 and were you just like, oh, it's cool. I'll wear gloves at home from now on. That'll be natural. No, I don't, I didn't think about it. You know, I think my mom, 
I think I I feel like my aunt initially told her like, well, I can't believe you let Steve get a tattoo. And I was at 16 or something at this point. And my sister, I believe, relayed this story to me. And she, she said, my mom, my sister told me that my mom said, I thought he'd been drawing it on this whole time <laughs> for years. I've been drawing a bat on my right shoulder with my left hand, which I, I cannot use for shit. I'm totally not ambidextrous. Right. So that was kind of funny. I love it. When I got my ear pierced, I was probably, I was 15 and I was in Mexico. And um, yeah, my dad was never, never going to go for that at all, ever. And I just got back from this trip I was on and with like a dangly, you know, it was the 80s, right? So it was like a dangly earring. And my dad never used, I think I heard him use the F word once. So he didn't say it when I showed up, but he was like, he looked it. He had the F word face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Yeah. I'm so disappointed. But it's funny. My mom ended up getting a tattoo about 10 years ago. And my dad, I thought my dad was the one who would probably break first and be like, yeah, yeah I don't, I don't care. And yeah. he asked me a couple, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago or something. I got my back done. And he asked me if I regretted it. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't know. I've never seen it. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know what's, I don't know what's back there. Yeah. I have tattoos all over my back. And I, sometimes I catch them in the mirror. Like after I shower, I'm like, whoa, oh, oh yeah, yeah right. Cause I don't ever see them. I, I feel more dismay with like my, my abysmal physical form than I do anything that I have put on it. Or in the skin, you know, I just like, I look at my body and I'm like, wow, it's like <laughs> a big fat rectangle, big pink, I, yeah, shapeless I mean, block. All my tattoos were, almost all of them were done by artists or, you know, quote unquote artists. Yeah. Someone with a hand. Yeah. Okay. Well, so they, they made a nice thing. On my skin, whereas I have made a not that nice thing out of my skin. So I, I buy what you're saying. Like their yeah. work is better than mine, even when their work is like five out of ten. Yeah, I like I just I like I like all I don't know. I don't it's a it's a people kind of get romanticized tattoos and they say, oh, it's a roadmap of my life or whatever. It's just like everything has a little story and it's like a fun little scrapbook that I get to keep with me. Yeah. I've never gotten anyone's name tattooed on me except for my dearly, my pat, my, my little cat who died. Just, he was just my ace, you know, he was like my shadow. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I got his name tattoo tattooed on me. Uh, but otherwise, like that's been it, and the rest of it's just like a hodgepodge. Of, and I, you know, I'm like pretty hairy too, so I don't have a whole lot of real estate to fuck with in in that regard. Anyway, yeah, I, I like good tattoos. I like bad tattoos. I just like them. Um, yeah. yeah. The first one I got, I was telling someone this the other day. Oh, I was at the physical therapist, and she got a phone call, and she like excused herself from scraping my tendons with this piece of metal. She's oh, like, those, that's just the worst. Dude, it's I forgot the best. about those. Um, mm, agree to disagree. It's an exquisite discomfort. But anyway, uh -huh. she's like, excuse me one moment. And she takes this phone call and then she comes back and like scrapes my tendon some more, which is great. 
And I was like, oh, that's it's funny that you stopped while you took that phone call because the first tattoo I got, the woman got a call and just put the phone under her, like on her shoulder, like <laughs> kind of, you know, she like did that neck shoulder sandwich and gave me a tattoo for like half an hour while she just, like <laughs> just rambled on the phone to her neighbor or something. That was That's my funny. first tattoo. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a scrapbook. So like that yeah. was in itself was kind of a unique and special experience. Yeah. Yeah. We had to go to Rhode Island in fact, cause at that point it was illegal in Massachusetts. So my first couple tattoos, we had to like drive down to renegade Rhode Island. Wow. To get inked by people who didn't care. Now it's a brave new world now, man. There's, you know, tattoo artists are making millions of dollars and there's celebrity tattoo artists and yeah. everybody under, under the sun has tattoos. Yeah. And now there's like three what's, places in my town now. There's, it's funny because there's like a trend that I see a lot of young people are like home tattooing. Like they got, you know, like the flipper fish or the black flag bars or some fucking, you know, <gasps> simple geometric shape, like uneven and, you know, just like shot into their thigh or, you know, but that's like, <laughs> it's just like the new kind of the new style, yeah. or, you know, like, like, uh, like, um, like gutter punk, like train, train kids, boxcar kid tattoos. Yeah. Where you tattoo tons of shit all over your hands and stuff. I think it's beautiful. You know, it's just another, it's just another form of, of the art or another aspect of the art form. Sure. Um, so this episode is about the creative process. Yeah. I mean, we both, we both, um, make shit and try to make a living off it. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe we had something to say about this. That was my idea. It's. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess I didn't. I never really thought about writing as as a component of that. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> well, no, I mean for for me, like I think of a writer as a as a creator, but I don't think of myself as a writer because I've spent so much time, so many years, and so much energy in in making visual work. Yeah, but I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm a writer too. I mean, a, I'm I make my living writing, which is a, just fucking wild. Because <laughs> yeah. I never, tr I never wanted to. I never thought of it. I never entertained that idea. But yeah, yeah, we do. That's what we do. So, um, so let's let's hit the questions. Uh, I'll just remind listeners that the though we ignore our format almost entirely. The, <laughs> The basic format of this is that we have a topic every week and then we have three questions we address. And that is an effort to keep our shit on the rails. Sort of. Within, so, I mean, if not on the rails, within a mile and a half of the rails. Yes. But in reasonable proximity. Yeah. So. Question one. The, these, are que these are, think of these as essay questions. What bike brand or company do you think is the most consistently creative? And do you think the bike industry rewards creativity more than imitation? Mm. I think you know that when I wrote the second part of that question, I had an answer in my mind. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, God, there's so many boutique builders and there's so many, there's so much wild design stuff constantly coming out. And, you know, Steve Elms, who was one of the founders of Independent Fabrications and I were talking a couple of years ago. And he's like, you know, we've been writing prototype shit for like, you know, 25 years. I think I've brought that point up in previous episodes. And this, the technology that's available now is so good, uh, you know, and it's always, it's now it's like they found a sweet spot, I don't know, five years ago or whatever. And they just like building on that and building on that. And there's none of this weird claptrap, slingshot, mantis, elastomer, fucking ceramic aluminum composite bullshit that was whatever the flavor of the week. 15 or 20 years ago, now everything is super sick. So, uh, I mean, there's big companies that are doing tons of cool stuff. There's little companies that are doing tons of cool stuff. I love seeing boutique builders or independent frame builders messing with suspension. You know, I don't know if it works better than one of the big companies' suspension designs, but it always looks really neat. Um, aesthetically, uh, spectrum powder, powder coating in Colorado. Like they've always done really badass stuff. Um, you know, in terms of like paint jobs and whatnot. Uh, name some names. Who's, who's, who, who, whose shit lights you up? Oh man. McGovern <laughs> always makes real pretty bikes. Uh, retro tech. I think retro Curtis's bikes are always beautiful. Uh, the just the curves and the lines. Black Sheep makes really pretty stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Oddity, Burnsy out in Fort Collins. He's just a fucking mad scientist making shit that doesn't look like it should work, but totally does. Um, Robert Ives at Blue Collar. I mean, I have always. He just he's such a curmudgeon, and he's like nothing but fucking double double triangle frames, you know, and. Like he is very traditional in his, in the bikes that he builds, but the bikes that he's built for me have just been, it's like an extension. Uh, Rick Hunter, who we've talked about before, he's a total mad scientist. Uh, God, I, it's there. I can't remember, man. There's like, there's like a crop of new builders that I've found or discovered that probably have been around forever, uh, just in the last few years. Um, and I can't remember the names of any of them because it's, it's just constant innovation and development and, and new names for me. You know, yeah. my brain can only handle so much. What about you? Um, uh, I like, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong. Is it now Tommy uh, in Austin who does Tommy cycles? T-O-M-I-I. -I. See? Those are super dope. Like he's got this great, even... his logo, you know, like you, you brought up Steve Elms and I'm a Boston guy. And so Indy Fab was, uh, was, you know, one of the pillars. Uh, and there, what really lit me up about Indy Fab was their typography, right? They had that block logo. Yeah. Uh, and that logo got me so excited like it's goofy to be excited by a logo but there was just something about that block 
with the independent on top and fabrication underneath it in the in the boxes. God damn, I love that so much. Their paint jobs, their kits, yeah, their the story behind them. You know, like them breaking off from Fat City and saying like we're gonna, we, you know, it was just like I loved I loved everything about early independent fabrications. Yeah, uh, and I got to I, I got know, to work with Lloyd Graves and uh, oh, Mike great. Flanagan, who were there. Yeah, um, they're good friends of mine. So uh, that was awesome. But Tommy has that typography, like in his logo, and then a lot of the little detail shit on his bikes is so elegant. Um, I really that stuff excites me. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Brian Hollingsworth, who's another friend of mine who I worked with at Seven, who makes his own bikes. He's he does super cool lug work. If you know, if you're a lug nerd, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm really a lug nerd, but I think loving Brian and also thinking he does super cool shit sort of amplifies the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but in general, I think the industry rewards imitation more than creativity. Uh. And a lot of times I think when I see a bike that really is super cool, it's painted well, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I was at the handmade bike show a few years ago and all of the bikes were like straight gauge titanium bikes with like Paragon dropouts and, yeah. and baller paint jobs. Like as bike building, examples of bike building, they were like, meh, yeah, okay, you stuck the stuff together and the... Like, you put all the parts in the right... Like, you assembled it well. Uh, great. Uh, but, it w like, they weren't really, like, pushing the envelope on bike building. But the paint finishes and the Anno designs were were all super cool. It's kind of hard. I mean, I you know, my brain doesn't work this way. I'm not... I'm not a... I'm not a bike builder by any... Or designer or industrial designer or anything by any stretch. So it's really easy for me to say, you know, once you get sort of a basic like understanding of geometry and and materials, like how far is there really to go? But, you know, I mean, I guess that it's you're only confined by the the limitations of your own imagination. So maybe to some degree you're right that that there is an awful lot of imitation, but I think like I said we've gotten to a point where things are so good that we're working in sort of a smaller lens. Oh, I, and speaking of finishes, uh, there's a, there's a, a couple of people who started a little company, um, Sherwood Gibson, who runs Ventana, uh, bicycles in, in Sacramento, outside in Sacramento. And Ventana's bikes are always fucking awesome too. And they have such a small presence in the United States, but he also makes bikes for a company called squid and squid is, yeah. Uh uh Chris Namba and Emily Gucherik. And I think I can realize I never know how to pronounce her last name. In Emily Cherik, Emily Kucherik. And but they feel like I add a K. <gasps> <laughs> Sorry, Emily. Uh anyway, they they go the extra mile to like really like pump up the scene in Sacramento and race and support racers and support um um uh, I mean, they advertise on my site, which is hugely uh, important to me because that's extra, it's extra dough for me and I can continue to do what I do. 
Like they just kind of, they kind of put their, their money where their mouths are. And that to me is really inspiring. And their bikes are super beautiful to boot. Yeah. Randomly, my local bike shop, which is a, a new shop called Battle Road Bikes, uh, sells Squid. It's a guy named Jim Cadenhead, who you might know. Uh, Jim, not off the top of my head. Jim owns that place. Shout out to Jim if you're listening. Uh, they are, they sell some squids and, uh, I was actually looking at one the other day and I was like, shit, uh, my wife definitely won't let me have another bike in the house, but like, I would <laughs> definitely have this one. Yeah. It's, it's, it's neat. I mean, to go to the, to go to the handbuilt show, I'm, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy shop. I don't really understand anything that I'm looking at, but I, but I always enjoy walking around and seeing all, all the kooky shit and, you know it's it's just kind of it it's kind of a throwback to being a little kid and going to the bike shop and seeing a bunch of shiny things you know i don't understand how any of it works probably it all probably is super fun to be on <clears throat> but last time a bike show i was at there was a, a builder uh called dear susan never heard of that either oh. i like the name though yeah so it's this guy british guy he he made this bike. It had like truck nuts on it, and um, it, it was. Oh yeah, it's the fucking yeah. It was totally insane. Like it's mad scientist shit. It was so beautiful. Such yeah. like if you want to talk about creativity, like in a sea of bikes that are just different painted colors of the same thing. And I'm yeah. not trying to knock the painted colors of the same thing. The, that's not my point. My point is that this was the one bike at the show that sort of like really stepped outside and was like, I make a fucking bike. Here's what it looks like. Yeah. It's like a bike built by somebody who's never seen a bike before. Yeah. Is that, or that by like description? Or by like um, Dr. Seuss's younger brother who listens to Gigi Allen all the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, they were they were at Sacramento. Um, Bruce Gordon used to do the, the Sapwaptos Awards, Sapwaptos Awards, Society of People Who Actually Make Their Own Shit. Right. Society of People Who Actually Make, so Sapwaptos, yeah. Uh, another thing that I seem to never be able to pronounce, I just kind of like throw a word out there and people understand what I'm talking about, even though I'm not getting it right. Right. Um, so a few years ago, we kind of took the mantle and made our own awards ceremony with the gold, golden toilet seats and stuff. This is stuff that Bruce and Mark from Paragon and Gary um, Helfricker. Jesus Christ. I really got to start doing the show a little later than <laughs> I am because I'm, you know, I ordinate, like usually I can get this, I got all the shit on lock, but now I'm like, I'm forgetting my friends' names and dates and places. Uh, but we did, we gave an award to him. Um, and we, you know, some of them, it wasn't like lampooning like the old Supplantos Awards did. Like Gary Fisher, he was in an ad one time and he was wearing a, like a welding vest and he was holding a torch. And everybody's like, that guy's never built a fucking bike before. What are you, what are you doing? Right. And so he won the best bike builder who'd never built a bike before award. Yep. Uh, so we, yeah, we just kind of, we kind of took the torch and, and gave, we were kind of handing out, you know, I think, um, uh, uh, Don, um, Walker, we gave him like 
his award. He was actually reluctant to to take it from us. Like we were trying to hand it to him and he's like, no, this is a bad thing. Right. I think he won like the third best Don award after like <laughs> Don Rickles. And I can't, I don't, I don't, for, I don't for people who don't know, Don Walker puts on the handmade bike show. So yeah, he's the, he's kind of the big boss, but we were, yeah, we, it's fun. You know, it's all in good, good fun. And we're not, we're not, you know, actively like burning, trying to burn any bridges with anybody. Sure. Uh, just getting everyone to take themselves a little less seriously. I just, just have just fun. Yeah. I just have fun and laugh at, learn to laugh at yourself. Yeah. Is I think a lesson we could all probably learn. It's one to grow on. Especially these days. Um, what is your creative process? Oh, question number two. You're just jumping to question number two. What's your creative process? Yeah, I don't think we covered. I don't think we solved anything with that. We didn't. I'm, the bike industry reward, rewards creativity more than imitation. No. It doesn't. No, it rewards imitation mostly. But I think we did a good job of calling out some of the people who are doing cool, sh- creative shit. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like, I so okay, so like uh, Wes Williams, I saw him, he was building 29ers, like way before anybody else was. And then I, and then a bunch of, in, and a bunch of small builders started building 29ers. And this is, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, 100 years ago, I don't fucking know. It was right. longer ago than yesterday. And then independent builders started making 29ers and everybody was going bananas on 29ers. And then the industry was like, nope, 29ers aren't the, that's not the sweet spot. It's fucking 650B. Right. And to me, that just seemed like we're smarter than the independent guys and we're going to make something that's bigger than 26, but not as big as 29. And this is the new standard. This is better, and which you know, like if you're, I, fuck, I don't know, personal preference. I love a twenty nine er. I don't have any of the problems that people claim they don't turn fast enough or whatever. But six fifty B just seemed like some kind of weird, almost like a cash grab or something. I I have one of each. Uh, I think they're all good. I love them all. Make me a thirty. Make me a thirty one. I don't give a fuck. It's all good. It's all good. Does. It, do the rolly bits roll? I'm sure I'm going to love it. That's how yeah. I feel about it. Yeah. I like yeah. 26. 26, 27 and a half, 29. Right. I don't know. I can't ride 26 anymore. This just take forever to get anywhere. <laughs> you shouldn't be in such a rush. <laughs> Where are you going? Yeah, maybe so. I, somewhere, I'm usually late. Gotta so get gotta, out in the woods with my remote control truck. I'm I in a hurry. Fucking, I gotta fucking get there. Yeah. Daylight's burning. It's, it's the sun's only up like two hours here a day. It's like it's like living on the fucking North Pole. So when the sun comes out, if the sun comes out, like I got a hammer to get my shit handled. Yeah, I got you. Lest I get abandoned, stranded in the woods again. <laughs> so, what is your creative process? My creative process. Um, you know, because I write, right? So I'm, that's my, the main thing that I'm creating. Um, but I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to really be visceral. So it, I have to, I had to do good work, which happens occasionally and mostly by accident. I just, I'm like pretending. It's like, you know, an RC, being out with your RC truck. I'm pretending. I'm like, if I write about a ride, I'm trying to like pretend I'm in the ride. 
and I'm trying to notice the things that I might not have actually noticed when I was there, but I'm sure were happening. I'm just trying to like uh, recreate a moment like, a, I don't know, you're you, you paint things. I don't. But I, I feel like and, you know, I. <laughs> I guess it depends on your style, but I'm trying to recreate an enhanced reality with my words. OK. And I'm trying yeah. to communicate the thoughts that I think that experience inspires that will be that people will relate to. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. So I'm trying to draw them in both with the ideas and the feelings that I have in that moment. But I'm also trying to like recreate the moment like this is what the trees were doing and this is what, you know, the spray paint tasted like and, uh, <laughs> you know, the whole whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that actually that makes sense to me um, for a while for the existence of a paved magazine. I wrote, I had an article and that was, I think that stint of time, whatever it was two years or something that I wrote for that magazine. It was my, my best writing I've ever done before or since. And, um, I really got into that groove. Like, yeah, you get on your bike, you go out, you ride, you hear stuff, you see stuff, you come home. But what about the nuances of buckling your shoe or pulling on knee warmers or all of these sort of banal experiences, but you give them depth and you give them flavor. And, and when you really, there's a fine line between uh, over, overdoing a description. Like I think, John Krakauer writes really amazing shit, but it's so overdone that I can't, it's too much. It's like what I imagine that the world looks like through an autistic kid's eyes. There's two, the colors are too bright. The sounds are too loud. Right. Like that's, that's Krakauer's writing to me. Right. Um, but to be able to kind of capture and to enhance or to, um, embellish maybe to a degree these these mundane experiences it just kind of makes i don't know kind of maybe helps me look at the world a little more differently like really appreciate the things that i might otherwise be overlooking and maybe as a reader you read something that someone wrote like something that you wrote and and you think like yeah fuck man i i just kind of plow through these experiences and i don't really absorb all of the amazingness well this is this is like i was in our in the question here i was like are there guiding ideas and i think you just touched on a guiding idea which is to for me and this is i think part of the like foundational idea of this podcast for me anyway which is it doesn't matter it does like who cares how fast i went or how far or like all this quantitative stuff that really does seem to motivate a lot of people doesn't doesn't really that's not really what it's about for me i want to like feel the feelings and think the thoughts and i want to see shit that i didn't see before and maybe i go on a ride and i come back and i realize something that i saw or something that i thought 
Yeah. That's the sh- that's the shit that's important to me. So, um, and that's always kind of at the underneath of the stuff that I write. Um, like even the even even the sort of tongue in cheek stuff. Like on the site, I do the useless reviews. But it's because the point of the useless reviews is to think think a little think differently about um, you know the buckle on your shoe or uh, the goo you. S- squirt on your chain i just i just don't want to i don't know i'm i'm very skeptical of the things cyclists use to establish their status as cyclists right well it's a real dog and pony show isn't it yeah i think so yeah i like to i like to kind of you know you talking about the buckle on the shoe like I just started reflecting on the fact that, wow, somebody spent a lot of time on that, you know? Yeah. Like that went through revision after revision and CAD drawings, and then it went to manufacturing and there were prototypes and, and all, you know, and you think like you sit down, you put, slam your shoes on, turn that little wheel or flip the lever or whatever. And all of a sudden your shoes are tight and somebody put, that was hundreds of hours that went into that one little so in 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 uh in light of that like shoes should cost like a hundred thousand dollars a pair (laughs) well this is funny because i just actually i have a pair of cd mountain shoes that i bought i mean they're 15 years old at least yeah and i just replaced the buckles on them recently and i and i was thinking about like oh because the spring like on the release had broken so i had to replace them and I, I had, the, I walked through this exact same thing you're talking about. Like somebody worked on that spring tension and somebody decided what the thread pitch on the little screw that bolts the buckle to the outside of the shoe. Like, yeah, it's really. And here I am like 15 years later, like retrofitting a replacement buckle that's not the original buckle, but it is a qualified buckle that works and like all of that shit stacks up i think in a super interesting way yeah yeah it's um it's pretty wild and you think you know sometimes you'll get something and it'll break immediately and you'll think like did anybody actually see this thing before it got into my hands or you get a thing and it lasts forever and ever and you wish that you could reach out to the person and thank them for all of the good work and it reminded me i had a pair of cds they were my first clipless mountain bike shoes and then they became the shoes i messagered in and they were basically like the sole was totally gone they were like slippers like bowling like shoes yeah spd slippers by the time I, I and i they just absolutely were threadbare like just were totally worthless and i sent them back to cd and said that i just bought them like <laughs> a year earlier and i was wondering if uh you know if if, the, if i get a warranty yeah and i I never heard from anyone (laughs) i thought it it was hilarious i thought that you know i'd get like a card back that said like we have encased these in in cement and dropped them to the bottom of the ocean just (laughs) to do the world a favor but (laughs) i never heard back from him i was talking about these cd shoes that i replaced the buckle on with patrick and he was like they're 15 years old how is there any soul left on them and i said well, some of us don't put our feet down very much when we ride. And he was like, oh, damn. Zing. Yeah, walked right into that one. Yeah. <laughs> so is there, what, oh, 
are there you have a distinctive visual art style that's an mm. accusation i just leveled at you yeah uh, what what are what's behind it what and if you look if you don't want to talk about that i totally get it sometimes with visual art most of the time with visual art and even with music i find like when 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 uh the creator is forced to explain it ruins everything so if you don't want to explain Mm, no, I mean, I think it was something that I kind of began developing in high school. Um, these guys, they were like a, a class above me. They were like in this like renegade art gang called the <gasps> Making Art Brothers. Yeah. And they did just did these like really sometimes they would do these really beautiful drawings um, with marker or colored pencil or whatever. And they would be obscene and they would put them up around the hallways. And they would immediately get torn down. And our teacher used to get so frustrated because these were really like well executed pieces that were just getting put in the trash, you know, maybe seen by a few dozen people and torn down and put in the trash. And they had uh, one, it was like, the, you know, this guy like holding a giant penis shaped sword thing. And it was titled, it had all these fucked up titles like Attack from the Back. Uh, this guy, Tom Barnes, did one of a guy blowing his brains out it was titled early retirement like really pretty fucking <laughs> subversive shit for the you know considering the fact that it's like this small high school in this small town in colorado like we were kind of like we were like renegade artists before i knew what a renegade artist was you know and um and i really sort of started to develop my style because of those guys and then once i got into college i learned about um, some other artists and a little more had a little more perspective on art history and stuff that was going on in in Germany in the you know twenties to well late forties I guess that really lit a fire under me. Um, uh, the whole new objectivity school and the German expressionists and I, I was just like, well, fuck, man, yeah, everything from their manifesto to the, the execution of their work. I want and I, this is like, this is foundational for me. This is really inspiring to me. Um, these days I feel like a real fucking fraud because I don't have a proper studio and not having an adequate studio is really hindering the style and the amount and the, the, the quality of the work that I make. And so, um, somewhere along the way I made a, I did an animal portrait and, um, and then somebody else asked for one and somebody else asked for one. And now I'm just like doing fucking paintings of dogs and cats and <laughs> I hate them. And I, I mean, I, I love that people trust me to, to make these, uh, to make these paintings of, of these beings that mean so much to them. But I'm just, I just feel so out of gas, you know? I mean, the fact that I've lost my studio and, and all of that is is a whole other level of weight that I'm trying to contend with. But yeah, I've got a lot of ideas I want to do. Uh, I got a lot of things I want to make, and I'm just feeling, I'm just, I don't know. I just feel like a, I feel like a fraud. So well, I I don't know if you have this experience. My experience with creativity or or the 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 both the motivation and satisfaction is that it's very cyclical. I can write, I can write months of garbage. Yeah. 
And people were what's 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 fucked up is that I can write months of garbage and people react well to it. You know, they like it for one reason or another, but it doesn't do anything for me. It's just that I'm continuing. I'm just mo- I'm just just like keep going is what I do. Just like God, keep it, making the words. It feels like such a waste of write, energy. What's that? It feels like such a waste of energy. You know, I know that's not the way I know that's not correct. I know that's not right. But, you know, like you spend you spend months working on stuff that as far as you're concerned, is just throw away. You know, I spend all this time working on stuff that I just like I fucking hate. I hate I hate m- making it. And, you know, those <laughs> those times when you like you're away from home and you're just like, I can't I can't wait to get back to this thing, you know, like. Yeah, that is the sweet spot, and it's been so long since I've experienced that, and so I just feel like no, I don't want to do anything. I get it. I get it. I've been in those periods where I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess this is over for me. I can't do. I can't. I can't do good work anymore. I just can make more of the same, and it can go on a long time and be really. It can really bum you out. But I mean, I then you know lightning strikes you get inspired you do a thing that lights you up (laughs) what's frustrating is that people will you know you'll write something that feels very kind of off the cuff and throw away and get a great response and then you will like rend your soul right you'll like do this work that you're like this i've finally done it here it is finally and people are like merp (laughs) i would rather have something that i really loved I would rather make something that I really loved that totally that, that justified all of the grief to get to that point than making something that somebody else liked that I didn't care about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm personally writing to get to those next kind of breakthrough moments for myself. Yeah. I think if you, if you pander too much to the audience and I've done it, I've painted, um, Bless you. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) Couldn't make the sneeze come out. I've definitely painted the the kitten portraits in words. I've definitely done it. Um, but you know, I I'm I'm always working towards like whatever the next thing that can mean something to me. Yeah. Well, it's all it's an important process, and uh, for for because nobody can actually see what just happened. A uh, robot got to about ninety percent of a sneeze, and then I said, "Bless you," and it it made it go back into his body. Yeah, I feel poisoned now. <laughs> that was that was super funny. Uh, I like to think of my buddy Pete, uh, this guy Pete LeCamp, who I went to school with. He he was a really brilliant screen printer, and just his concepts were, you know, he wasn't like a particularly good draftsman but his ideas were brilliant every time and he could just make he made the coolest shit in these kinetic framed sculptures he i have a print of uh you know it's like jesus with the hand and the fingers and he screen printed a heineken bottle in one hand and a cigarette in, the, in his fingers and yeah. then he did the he like took these framed pieces where he dismantled the print and put them put a windshield wiper motor on it so it was like the beer and the cigarette were alternating <laughs> and and he he went on to he built this beautiful house in in Gilroy um 
and didn't make anything for a long time. And I think he and I had a conversation about like, he said, you know, I just feel like I spent all this time making stuff and I haven't been, I haven't made anything. And I was like, well, you're building a place to make stuff. And the, just the whole idea at that point, the notion that like, if you're thinking about it, that's an important, that's as, that's almost equally important to the process as actually doing it. If your mind, if those gears are always turning, if you just abandon it and you don't think about making stuff and you don't think about the next thing you're going to write. And I don't think about the next piece that I'm going to make that is really going to fill my tank. If I just give up on that, then I've given up on the whole thing. And it's easy for me to say, you know, to encourage my friend and say, you're building a studio and you're going to get back to work. It's really easy for me to say that, but it's not easy for me to say that to myself because I'm just like, that's one arena where I am so fucking critical. Like I've let go of a lot of shit over the course of the last year in terms of my own self, uh, uh, vacancy of self-worth, I guess we'll say, but the creative process is just, I'm just fucking killing myself. It's really, it's really frustrating. I don't know how to get out of that rut. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Having been in them before, I just, the only thing I know to do is keep going. That's, that's it. You know, like just keep failing. Just, just keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, That's all I know. Your story about the kids in high school that inspired you reminded me of two things. The first one was um, like a renegade art gang reminds me kind of of like an anarchist mime collective, you know, like really tough (laughs) mimes. The other other one was that my 14 year old son is uh, what's the shitty word? Artie, right? He's he draws all the time and he does um, things and he appreciates art. And he's in art class and like, we don't talk about grades very much, but he's like, oh, I'm getting a B minus in art. And I was like, uh, that that's why, why do you think you're getting a B minus in art? And he goes, uh, probably just cause I'm drawing a lot of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, who is it? Enrique Chagoya, I think. Is it Enrique Chagoya? No, fuck, I'm not even going to try to remember the proper name, but it's some baller artist and they did a whole thing where there's like dicks, you know? So just keep at it. Just apparently. Just, just draw the best dicks you can. You know, Judy Chicago, she did a bunch of vagina art. Yeah. Rika did a bunch of dick art. Oh, George O'Keefe, sure. Yeah. She made vaginas that went well in every living room. Yeah. Living room vagina. Living room vagina. I, I hope that was her agent's um, like pitch to galleries. Most most likely, that probably wasn't the case. But believe I like, me, I have the best living room vaginas you've <laughs> ever seen. I like the idea. Uh, yeah. Did we? Are there guiding ideas or principle or particular processes that let you do work you're happy with? What are you trying to tell the world? Oh yeah, yeah. Was that for me or was that? rhetorical yeah, that's that for, for you. everybody um yeah. <laughs> that's for everyone guiding ideas or particular processes for listeners at home steve is just now reading the notes for this episode 
Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. I so there's I've always loved regardless of whether or not I like the work that comes from a studio. I fucking love a studio. I li- like having a proper studio is wildly or being in a proper stu- studio is wildly inspiring to me. Um and I could sit if I had a good studio, I could sit there and stare at the wall and feel totally fulfilled for hours, you know? And I think, um, I think, I think a huge part of the, a a huge part of my process is having a place to work. You know, I used to kind of joke, like I would use the piranha analogy. Uh, I don't know if this is true, but I heard actually Pete who gave me my first tattoos. He had a little piranha in a little tank. And he told me that if you put a little piranha in a big tank, they will grow to the size that is accommodating them. So you put a little piranha in a big tank and it's going to grow big. But if you keep a little piranha in a little tank, it'll stay small. And I always felt like my work was kind of like that. Like if I had a small room to work in, my, my work stays super small. If I have a big room to work in, my, my work follows suit. And I feel like I don't have anything now. And I'm just like, I'm just spinning my wheels. So, um, I think that the environment in which it's made is, is a huge component to, to making work that I'm happy with. I, I work in terrible places. I tuck myself in corners with my laptop and I, it doesn't matter. Like if I can get myself still for a few minutes, then I can settle in and do work. One thing that helps me a lot is music, right? Like, so if I know I'm going to do work in during the morning, I go out with the dog and I listen to music and something about like just having, especially on headphones, like music, just filling my brain. I come back and I find it much easier to settle down. Um, And the music is usually inspiring in some way to, you know, get me creating i don't know why that is i mean i guess it's a right-brained thing i don't want to try to i don't want to break science again we do that so often (laughs) maybe i i mean having a soundtrack is i I don't like i don't like music when i'm camping you know like i feel like people who go into the woods and play music real loud i think i feel like that's just that's just somebody who's afraid of their own thoughts but if you're in a studio or you're working on something, I mean, I have mu- like I'll put music on to get dressed. I'll put music on to vacuum. I'll get put music on to make food. Like having music, I fucking love it. You know, regardless of what I'm doing, creative or not. I feel like it eats a lot of the distractions. Like you said, being a f- like if you listen to music while you're camping, it's because you're afraid of your own thoughts. I'm not afraid of my own th- thoughts. Like I wouldn't listen to music camping. That's whatever. Stay stay home and listen to your music. Um, but I do find, and especially the type of music that I tend to listen to it, it like, like they say you're, you can think about seven things at the same time. Like your brain will flit around between seven different things. And I feel like if I listen, the music I listen to, which tends to be loud and chaotic, I feel like it eats like four of those tracks. So then I only have a few things that I like, it just brings me some focus because it, it's it's almost like white noise. I don't know. I bet the internet has a, has taken a real fucking hit on people's ability to think about seven things too, because the internet's yeah. this constant like 
horrible, glowing distraction. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely am victim of, to that. Yeah. Definitely. More frequently than I'm not. Well, um, we're, we're headed towards the hour mark. So let's get to question three. Uh, if you could recommend one artist that most people don't know, who would it be? Uh, I took some notes. There's one, two, three, five. there's six people whose work I really like. Yep. And then this was just off the top of my head when I, when I read the question. Um, and, uh, most of these, I don't, most of these, I mean, mostly all of these people could be found on the internet. If anyone is interested in investigating, um, there's a woman named Lorraine Lutz that um my friend angela turned me on to she makes these fucking incredible tiny 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 insanely detailed watercolors and i discovered her when i was on a road trip and i was doing you know i was doing a lot i was basically i didn't have a studio so i was just kind of making work in my sketchbook um so l-o-r-r-a-i-n-e lutes she's brilliant um and another guy named alvaro nadeo uh, also does really insanely detailed tiny watercolors, but he makes these crazy contraptions where they're like forts that are mobile. They're like somehow attached on a shopping cart and there's like TVs in them and like playboys and six packs of beer and skateboard decks. And then his, his watercolors, uh, Alvaro Nadeo, they're really beautiful. Um, Al Columbia is a graphic novel artist. And his drawings are everything I would want my drawings to be. Like he is to my mind, he is a he's a perfect draftsman. Mm-hmm. Um, Egon Schiele, uh, Egon Schiele, Aust- yeah, yeah, Austrian cat who died in the early 1900s of influenza. But in his not even 30 years of life, I think he was 28 or something when he died. He made an incredible volume of work and is one of history's best drawers. Um, a woman named Anna Park does large scale graphic uh, graphite drawings of uh, of like you know pits or parties or whatever, and all of the people look like just slightly disfigured. Anna Park, she's brilliant. And then uh, someone who I've I've been absolutely enamored with since I was in college is a fellow named Michael McMillan. And he makes these amazing environments and these amazing installations and um, miniatures and just, I mean, sets. You walk into another world, like you're you. They're immersive and um, and interactive and are just fucking beautiful. And I saw him lecture when I was in college, and he is the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. So it even elevated him further in my mind. But yeah, those are those are the top six off of off of my brain. Nice. Yeah. Um, let's let's close it out. Um, what? This is I'm gonna I'm gonna morph the question into a two part question. One skater that you really love that maybe isn't the most popular skater, and what 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 company has the best deck art uh oh man there's so many skateboarders that are just doing so much kooky shit you know i feel like right now everybody everybody's just innovating in new weird ways Uh, you know i would i would always go back to my standby you know lance mountain 
and and Ricky Windsor and Gary Scott Davis are like my top three of all time. Um, but there's it's there's so many kids doing so so much banana shit now that I I couldn't even begin to couldn't even begin to guess. Um, I did describe somebody recently as they skate like they're mad at the ground. And I don't remember who I was referring to. Was it Milton just, Martinez, Ronnie oh, Sandoval? He's, dude, he's he, uh, pro- probably both, actually. Yeah, Milton is an unbelievable, unfucking-believably talented kid. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, uh, companies that, with great art, uh, Strange Love <clears throat> is um, Sean Cliver's company and sean cliver did all the graphics for world industries and uh, kind of came up with Powell peralta but he's just like everything he does is nuts like he's just a he's completely out of his mind and his so goddamn prolific like he'll bang out you know new graphics like once a week and it takes me it takes me a week to do one little shitty watercolor and he's done i don't know it, he's just He's on a whole other level. Um, so I would say, I would say, um, them, uh, strange love. Well, it's a lot of little companies and none of, none of which I'd see Also like, there's a, like a new company coming up with or popping out of the woodwork all the time as well. Yeah. Um, well, black label, John Lucero's company. Mm-hmm. He does a, a lot of the graphics or most of the graphics and, and his drawings are always super cool. Um, what do you think about Chris Haslam and uh, Brainchild stuff? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's a I, super creative skater in the in the like Daywan song. Oh, super Rodney technical. Yeah, and he I, also I, does his own art for his company. That the the super technical skating has never made any sense to me. Like, I love to watch it; it's cool, yeah. but I don't get it. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, I might as well sit down and watch somebody do abstract math, you know, like super impressive, man. There's a lot of squiggles and symbols and stuff that I don't know what any of that means, but they sure know what they're doing, yeah. you know, but like to look at somebody just like riding a skateboard in a, in a ditch or, you know, a parking lot or something doing simple shit. Like that's something that I can relate to. Um, Barker Barrett one time. He was a cat that, uh, like he's, he's kind of legendary, uh, skateboarder, East coast, West coast work, both sides of the country and just such a dear human. But he was like one of the, he's like a curb professor, you know? And I asked him at one point we were talking and I said, who's your favorite skateboarder? And this is at the Rockridge parking lot where I used to spend a lot of time. Um, so who's your favorite skateboarder? And he said, everybody who skates here. And I just thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my, that's who I think my favorite skateboarder is. That's the, the most creative skateboarder is the next skateboarder. You know, anybody who does it just because they love doing it. Yeah. Well, so, cool. That's, that's an hour. That's a wrap. That's a wrap on today. Yeah. This is, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank you, robot. Very welcome. I'm Steve. If you have questions for us or topics you want us to pontificate on, email Stevel, Stevel at cyclingindependent.com. If you like this, 
Like, Steve was like holding his face because he's like, shit, I've never checked that email address. I don't know how to get, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't have any access to that. We'll address. have one of our interns. <laughs> I just assumed that that email, like any emails that went to Steve at Cycling Independent just went to like an old, uh, like 80s era computer that's sitting in a bare cinder block room with one light bulb on <laughs> the ceiling. That might be true. That could be true. All right. If you have if you have anything you want us to talk about, email robot at cyclingindependent.com. I actually know where the cinder block room is that That's that shit thing. arrives. If you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent, please consider a voluntary paid subscription. It's currently the only way we have to pay ourselves for the so for the price of a top ramen a day, you could buy me or Stevel another top ramen <laughs> instead of you eating we can eat that's right bingo bango if Just you like write that. us a review please use adjectives like erotic uh or game changing unlistenable Un- or unlistenable is fine <laughs> too and other than that what reminders do you have for the people uh you know be nice to yourselves yeah. And and through that, maybe, you know, also be nice to the people around you, despite the fact that you might not agree with them. Jesus Christ, do we need some fucking compassion on both sides these days? So what's the adage? You never know how somebody's eggs were made that morning or something like that. You never know if somebody had runny eggs. I don't yeah. Know, something about eggs. Runny eggs make me feel homicidal. Imagine how they f- make everyone else feel. Amen to that. All right. This has been, what's this called? Revolting. Steven Robot. Till next time. Don't forget to suck it.